0: Hello everybody and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to have you here. <laughs> Speak up today. Yeah. I understand that there's a little rain going on outside and we can hear it.
1: We are definitely in Texas. Right. I hope you brought our canoes to work.
0: If we can predict things from past experiences, it'll go away. Yeah, it things will get better. Let's hope. The sun will be out later on, but right now we will uh, speak up the best we can and present our program. We'll do our best. I want to talk today and start off with uh, about the White House. Uh, The White House is not friendly to the New York Post, and they're not friendly to the First Amendment, (laughs) so you combine that together. And they're not even going to allow the New York Post uh, to come to the press conferences and put restrictions on them. I remember way back, it must have been in the early 80s uh, or in the 70s, when CNN was just starting, they were denied to, you know, any access to anything because there were three majors. And this was the first time anybody was challenging it. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to bat for them because I thought, we need another one, we need one more. And I thought, later on, I thought, why would I ever do that? <laughs> but but anyway, they've been around, and, and uh, this is sort of backtracking. And uh, once again, it's regulation. You know, it's, it just seems like it's probably not all that necessary. Uh, you, you know, uh, people can sort it out. But what they're going to do by denying it, they're going to sort it out and say, you know, Biden is not really a friend of the First Amendment, which a lot of people already knew. But there's a few Republicans that aren't very friendly. And when they talk about things like Assange and other things and Ed Snowden, we don't get a strong support, you know, from Republican leadership. So anyway, that's uh, the, that's the big thing in, in the news uh, this morning, and uh, I think that uh, if I had uh, my ability to advise the president, I would say cancel that order, allow him to come, live with the truth, and open newspapers and freedom of choose. But right now, with social media and the whole works, it's pretty hard. It is hard for. It all of us. And uh, I'm sure with our viewers, they find it difficult. Where does the truth come? How can we get to the answers? So we want to continue to do our best to try to find it so that we can uh, pass it on.
1: Well, the thing is, President Biden rarely faces the press. I mean, I can't remember. I mean, I remember my early stage watching Nixon. Um, He rarely faces the press. I think probably less than any president has ever done. And when he does face the press, as We've seen over and over again. It's more tightly scripted than a 1973, you know, meeting of the Soviet Communist Party or something. Everyone he gets a he gets a printout of who's going to ask him a question, what the question is, how he's supposed to respond. So the whole thing is is very is very fake. So the problem for President Biden, and he was he made a press appearance yesterday and the New York Post wanted to attend the press appearance and try to ask a question. Of course, as it turned out, he turned away and walked away without even answering the question. But the New York Post wanted to be there and they were told, sorry, there's no spots left. We can't accommodate you. And so then they did a little bit of reporting and found that actually there were 20 empty seats, so it wasn't jam-packed. The problem is that the New York Post, of course, they broke the story of Hunter's laptop, which was falsely claimed to be Russian disinformation, and they continue doggedly. They have, um, I think her name is Miranda Devine. She's done some great work on the, the Biden crime family, the crimes that the family's involved in. So it seems to me like retaliation against a newspaper that's actually just, as you say, Dr. Paul, in your opening, doing its job keeping a watchdog, looking at, you know, they certainly did it when Trump was president, didn't right. they? Everything.
0: Now, this, uh, if it were only for the uh, uh, press conferences, wouldn't be a big deal, because you just said, he doesn't have very many, press. Yeah, you really? probably aren't missing anything, <laughs> yeah. except to make fun if they can. But this is for all public appearances, yeah. that you have to get press passes. So uh, it's not a very good example. But. I think we've been drifting away, and the country's been drifting away, and our leaders have been drifting away to the point where very few young people going through journalism school uh, these days, does not uh, they don't even get an, uh, a good introduction yeah. of what, what First Amendment is. And then they themselves uh, don't know how to defend themselves when there's journalistic re- restraints. And uh, so often, they comply too easily, and then when you mix that up with social media, it is difficult to get in, to the bottom of things and yeah. getting to, to, the, to, to the real issues. But we do have friends in, in journalism that uh, they do provide some good information, and we, we rely on that quite frequently.
1: Yeah, I mean, the role of the Fourth Estate in a free society is to do the bidding of the people against the power, and that's what it's supposed to do. But it, it doesn't, of course. Well, let's look at a couple of clips. This is from uh, Summit News. Steve Watson did a little piece on what's going on with it. White House is blocking the New York Post from attending Biden appearances. Go to the next one, and here's what they wrote about it. Basically what I said, there's 20 empty seats on the South Court auditorium at Biden's only public appearance. Their request was denied. Well, I think this article by Steve Watson really explains why they were denied, because here's a lengthy quote from the New York Post, if we can put the next one up. They don't want this out there the white house press office barred the post from attending president biden's only daytime public event monday as federal prosecutors near a decision on criminally charging first son hunter biden for tax fraud and other crimes the post has closely, closely covered the president's ties to his relatives foreign dealings and first reported in october 2020 on files from hunters abandoned laptop the link to joe biden to ventures in china and ukraine china and ukraine being important and do the next one. So at the time, Biden, of course, falsely characterized the Post reporting as Russian disinformation back at the time. In a Monday email, the White House uh, staff informed the Post we're unable to accommodate your credential request to attend the Investing in Airline Accountability remarks on 5-8. The remarks will be live streamed and you can view it at wh.gov. Thank you for understanding. We'll let you know if credential becomes available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't hold your breath, is, in other words, is what they're saying. Yeah.
0: So well, a- anyway, we hope there's people uh, alert to this and will engage themselves in trying to understand more clearly what the founders intended. Because, you know, that was a long time ago, but it seemed like they had a much clearer mind about what First Amendments meant went than, than it does today. Because I, and I think so much of this stuff emanates from our university system. Yeah. You know why? Why are? Why wouldn't the uh, university system? They depend on all the funding. So you know if they're going to get involved in journalism or medical care yeah. or everything, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pressure put on the individuals to toe the line, yeah. and uh, because you could be. Uh, you have to be careful because if if you don't do their bidding you could be accused of being a terrorist yeah. you know that that's their tool that they use uh, used to be oh you're you lean toward the communism oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. now oh you're yeah. a terrorist yeah. you know <laughs> because you want freedom you want freedom of people to do what they want yeah. or what kind of a system would yeah. that be
1: <laughs> well you know we're not naive and we know that i'm sure every administration wants to block hostile press you know there's there's nothing unusual about that but i mean Unless I'm hallucinating, I remember especially during the Trump era when his press people, they were just they were just hounded and dogged and beaten to smithereens. The floor was bloody when they left, you know. And so the response, trying to, basically the whole point is if you don't play with us, then you can't play at all. You know, you can't come, you can't be part of it. And if you're barred from these things, then you have nothing to write about. You can't write about it. So it's very... Um, very disturbing well
0: i think we have to admit that it's a little more complex than uh, when they had pamphlets and newspapers no radio no tv no social media yeah. and, and the works and uh but it was word of mouth but they still uh permitted that it became very personal then but they, they were not uh bashful the, you know the early founders of the country and uh, they held uh the principle of uh, freedom of speech in the highest team yeah. but I think we've drifted a long way from that it's uh, who who's the smartest person to lie the best you know it's a, it's a champion liar that seems to get uh, the most attention and the most support and the, and unfortunately the the most persuasion with the people but there's a limit, and I think we're witnessing these last couple years. And we like to talk about it when they've reached the limit, and the people finally say, "Enough of this stuff!" You know, eventually the people do uh, to, do uh, catch on and yeah. say that uh, we've had enough of this. And I, I think hopefully that trend continues with this uh, next election. If yeah. if nothing else, if that, if that is accomplished, I would think that is very good that the people people can sense when they're telling lies, and that's not difficult because it's constant.
1: No kidding. Well, the next story is is a hopeful story. It's cautiously optimistic. It's a very interesting development. If we can put this next up. Now, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. We're reporting President Biden's ambassador to Australia, who happens to be Caroline Kennedy, who happens to be John F. Kennedy's daughter, the late John F. Kennedy's daughter, she is biden's ambassador to australia there's been a lot of action on the assange front over these past couple of weeks and we've been following it closely she took a meeting with a pro assange group friends of julian (coughs) assange i believe it was in australia she agreed to meet with them uh and which is significant because it she wouldn't have done that certainly if Biden was against it, or if Blinken was against it, or the foreign policy team was against it. She met with this pro-Assange, pro-freedom group just in advance of President Biden's trip to Australia. If you can put this next one up, this is from the article. The highly sought-after meeting comes at a pivotal moment, just a fortnight before Prime Minister Anthony Albanese hosts Joe Biden for his first presidential trip visit to australia and days after opposition leader peter dutton significantly shifted his rhetoric on the assange case so you remember dr paul we talked about it i think maybe not on the show the current prime minister of australia said enough right. is enough this guy need you need to stop this prosecution you need to let set him free now his opposition Parliament is saying the same thing and so for Kennedy to meet with this group just in advance of. I mean, I hate to read the tea leaves, but it can't be a bad thing.
0: Well, maybe uh, she's in in good with uh, her cousin. Yeah, yeah. You okay. know, and uh, and obviously, you know, the p- people do know that there's a dissension in in the uh, Kennedy family because most of them disapprove yeah. <laughs> of okay. anything that Robert is doing. Yeah, and. Uh, that, that means that Carolyn, I mean, maybe she's just very independent-minded, but it is it is good news. We don't know exactly what it, what it means, but uh, if, if it won't be very easy for Biden to get rid of her. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, that, no. Would be,
0: that would be pretty bad. <laughs>
1: well, if you think about it, you know, and sort of game this out a little bit from a political perspective, it makes all the sense, in the, not that I'm in the business of helping Biden, <laughs> but it makes all the sense in the world for him to jump on it right now. Because everything he's touching is is turning not to gold, the opposite of gold. He's got a war problem, he's got an economics problem. Uh, But RFK, as you say, the candidate with 20% in the polls against him before things have even started, he said out front, I will not pursue Assange, I will have him be released. So, so go ahead. No,
0: um, I was going to say, isn't it pretty impressive that there's that many people who are still maintain a a mental condition where they'll they'll look at this, and this has been around for a long time. We 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 think that nobody really cares, you know, because uh, uh, you know there's the the administration and the media they ignore it. So I think this is this is very good.
1: It would, me. Make, it would make no no fun absolutely it would make sense because first of all okay say he does this just before or just as he's in Australia for Biden a he heads off RFK oh you would pardon him I already did that and then he puts a knife in Trump saying <laughs> you had every opportunity in the world you said all <laughs> kinds of nice things about Assange throughout your entire campaign and you did nothing you didn't lift a finger well here I am I'm gonna set him free I'm for press freedom. It's, it would be a smart political move right now. Of course, we would like it for other reasons, but I don't yeah, know, I think, I seem like things are coming together a little bit.
0: I think you better be cautious because you're going to be offered a very good job
1: <laughs> in, in, in the Biden in, in, the, in the
0: administration <laughs> oh, and in his campaign, in oh Biden's God. campaign, but I'm not worrying about that. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not
1: holding my breath on that one, I don't Right. Think. <laughs> but let's, um, I just want to do one other thing on this before we move on because um, this is another thing I think that's weighing heavy on the administration because it's very obvious. If you can skip ahead and go to that next one, um, U.S. double standards on World Press Freedom Day. Now the world understands that this is uh, uh, Kevin Gostola, And you know World Press Freedom Day happened just a couple of days ago. And there was a meeting held by UNESCO uh, about world press freedom. And they had a speaker there. If you can put the next one on, uh, Dr. Agnes... Kalmard, Secretary General for Amnesty International, spoke in front of this World Press Freedom event. She called attention to the double standards of so-called democratic countries while discussing challenges to press freedom. And here is what Dr. Kalmard said. It's not just what's happening in Iran or in Russia that we should worry about, although it should worry us a lot. It's also what's happening here in the U.S., Kalmard said. Who is imprisoning Julian Assange? Who's creating more laws to curtail the freedom to protest? All of those indicators and trends are occurring within the so-called democracies of the world. So that's a good point. The, it's very obvious, very out there. We hold all of these free press, free democracy, and in the meantime we're suppressing a journalist.
0: And. I think this is another sign of the weakening of our empire, which we don't cry over, because they're willing to speak out against us. And there's been other countries uh, asking the questions. And I think it's uh, becoming very clear that without the United States' support for the punishment of Assange, it wouldn't be happening. I I would think that would be... You know huge if not everything I, I, if if somebody if, if we had a, a new president that would come out but uh, like you say it's been supported by bipartisan and and I think that uh, a lot of Republicans are still saying oh boy we can't do this yeah. <laughs> you know I keep thinking it's such a stress to, to punish somebody by breaking one of our laws he doesn't he doesn't even happen to be a US citizen yeah, yeah. And, it's crazy. Oh, well why did you come to the United States uh we know you're not a citizen but here you can get a fair trial and clear your name and get rid of this nonsense yeah Yeah. so uh how many people believe that's to me that's sad that you know there was a time probably that a person would be in a foreign government and it's still foreign governments are worse than the way you have but under these conditions to to leave most of the countries of the world, and come here for a fair trial yeah. on something like this, it's uh, not, not going to be very healthy for the individual.
1: Yeah, we're heading in the wrong direction, Right, you know, is, is obvious. Well, our last story today is, is, is a disturbing one, and, and I'm happy to report it because it's from within our own website. And this is our colleague Adam Dick, who wrote a really interesting piece for our Congress Alert section at ronpaulinstitute.org yesterday. And he was looking closely at this border security bill, and he found something of interest. And here's the title, House Border Security Pro- Bill Provides for a Big Step Toward War in Mexico. And you first read the headline and say, that's crazy. We're not going to invade Mexico. Well, we talked about it on the show, remember, a couple weeks ago, where who was? Was a Bolton or someone said we need to invade Mexico, invade anywhere? But the point that Adam makes, and we can put this next one on, is that um, if you look at the text of the bill, which is what... We did for you for many, many years on the Hill. The devil is always in the details, literally, right? And uh, so Adam writes that it's a big step toward the U.S. government going to war in Mexico. Again, you'd say, that's crazy. But as Adam points out, Section 123 of the 213-page-long bill (laughs) says that, quote, not later than 60 days after the date of the enactment of this act, the Secretary of Homeland Security, in coordination with the Secretary of State, shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees a report on whether a Mexican drug cartel described in paragraph two meets the 10 criteria for designation as a foreign terrorist organization, end quote. And the bill referenced 11 different, quote, Mexican drug cartels.
0: Yes. You know, it is so dangerous. And I despise the... Generous use of the word terrorist because yeah. that is that's a code word for just destroying somebody's reputation And it, it is difficult. So this is uh, just another uh, another example Uh, you you know, of people wanting to aggravate and make things worse uh, between the United States and Mexico. And both sides have some shortcomings on this. Uh, Mexico doesn't do what they should, and we don't do what we could could do. And uh, they play on the drug war and the danger of these horrible drugs, which I share medically, and uh, yet I have a different political answer to that. One thing that, you know, because the cartel, You know, they're making all this money and also drugs are dangerous. So therefore, you need the government to protect you. (laughs) And what I'm fascinated with is a statistic. I know this uh, can't be uh, considered the most dangerous drug in the world. But how many people went to prison and how many people were in the mafia and the different groups making billions of dollars with the uh, uh, the, uh, illegal use of marijuana? And guess what? uh, with a little bit of effort by a few people, Finally came through and it's essentially uh, legal for for everybody, and which uh, I, I still think that uh, my what my advice is is I th- I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. But I don't. I've always despised the drug war. Uh, the drug war turned out to be worse than the marijuana. And now I just read a story of the other day. It said marijuana people are the the growers and the manufacturers they're unhappy. <laughs> they're not making any money. So it takes the profits away from it. It, and they won't do it. So now, to suggest that, I think there is there is a libertarian position. Uh, briefly, I won't speak for all libertarians, but suggesting, you know, a different approach. And, uh, and one of them would be to, uh, uh, you know, make drugs legal, like yeah. they did marijuana. You say, what? How can you do that? Well, uh, <laughs> I remember the time I was in a debate and they were accusing me of legalizing morphine yeah, and heroin. <laughs> and heroin. (laughs) But nobody said, oh, yeah, if it's legal, I'd probably be tempted to use (laughs) it, you know, this whole thing. (laughs) So, no, uh, it it is dangerous, but we can't expect the government to protect us against all kinds of problems because I might be able to find a few things in our diet that may be killing more people than all the drugs. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, calories and not enough exercise in a soviet state you know uh, you, you know they they dictate everything but uh, no the first thing is is uh, most uh, libertarians would say back off on, on the uh, drug war, it doesn't work. You wouldn't have cartels. Yeah. Yes, you would still have a drug problem, but you wouldn't have the cartels. You might have more people spending money on rehabilitation and treating people who are addicted. But also, you know, if you subsidize something, you get more of it. And we subsidize illegal immigration people just walk in we treat them like kings you know they get treated better than all Americans and and veterans who are looking for some government help they get treated better they come to the front of the line so I think that should be eliminated and prohibited and uh, what would you do though we we use them a lot of them uh, and and this is why they say business people you know want to open borders because they can get cheap labor to come in Well, I think that I think the work uh, guest worker program is is a good idea. I think it was a way. I always thought it was a great way to have foreign aid let the workers come in and they did it for years and they work and what what did they do with their money they took it home and some people say well they have to spend that money here <laughs> No, let us spend over there what are they going to do put it in a shoebox yeah, really? you know they'll they'll start buying so I think it's a an assistance program but I think that uh, people should consider this but we're a long way from it because it's much easier to identify them as terrorists and uh, and and do things stupidly that may End up with a shooting war with Mexico, yeah. you yeah. know, it, it, it makes no sense. I think that volunteerism uh, in our in our programs is a much better way to go.
1: You're right. I mean, there are serious implications if Congress were to, de- if you know, working with the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security were to designate these groups in Me- Mexico as terrorist organizations, because that would open them up to being targets in the war on terrorism. Yeah. It would be no, no, no different than ISIS or Al Qaeda. So the idea that Mexico is going to sit by, in Obrador, the um, the president of Mexico already said, we're not going to permit any foreign government to intervene in our territory, much less that a government's armed forces intervene. So forget it. It's out of the question. You can't come over. So if we call them terrorists, we they're legally terrorists, then they're going to be part of the war on terror, and we're going to be bombing Mexico. No. John Bolton may be happy, but... We're not going to be that awfully happy.
0: One mistake always leads to two mistakes, two problems. And that's what we have done in our foreign policy. You know, when you think about it, I bet you we would spend... Would have spent a lot less money since World War II if we had not uh, had this continuation expansive foreign policy where we felt like we had to be the uh, uh, you know the the uh, world policeman yeah. and uh, even I think Bush used to say we shouldn't be the world policeman. He knew the right words, yeah. but they had no intention of doing that. They, uh, the whole thing is it's designed for us to be uh, the world policeman and the war uh, and the the world's dictator, especially the distribution of of, uh, oil. Uh, So often, uh, if you just look at, since World War II especially, uh, our influence and our desires to be able to control uh, oil, And, and you know, it's so ironic, the market you can do so much for the consumer yeah. by driving the oil prices down. And so so what do we do? Just, just look how we have impeded the use of the marketplace to distribute and sell in an open, fair manner uh, energy between the uh, Russian system and the European system. So we have to go and blow up, air, uh, pipelines, blow up pipelines in order to prevent the market from breaking out. Yeah. So it is pretty bad. But... Uh, you know, are they just bad people or, or stupid, or did they get a bad education, or is there too much pressure by the politician? And I say, yeah, oh, yeah yes. All of the above, yeah. yeah, no kidding. So It's too bad.
1: Well, before we close out, I do want to thank our supporter this month, our uh, sponsor this month, and that is FourPatriots.com, a great company that helps you prepare for whatever may happen. We weren't sure if our power was gonna go off earlier today Dr. Paul. we could have benefited from one of their generators out here. Well, they're they're supporting the show this month, they are sponsoring the show this month, uh, and they want us to talk about a known safety threat that poisons thousands of Americans each year, and that is carbon monoxide that seeps out of a gas generator. It can be deadly, people have died from it, and it doesn't have to happen that way. There's a new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators. You're looking at a shiny example right now on your screen, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. You can expand it, you can double the capacity if you wish. It's available to all Americans, even those who think they might not be able to afford it. It's a solar generator that doesn't use gas, so there's no problem with fumes. And it's not loud like those gas generators. It's as quiet as a laptop, and it's so lightweight, you can pack it up and take it with you. You can power your phones, medical devices, or even your refrigerator in a bind. And right now, you can go to 4patriots.com and use the code RON to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, from generators to food, you name it, they've got everything. It's an American company, everything's put together in the US, the profits partly go to veterans groups, so go to 4 and I will put a link in the description. Get that 10% off by using Ron. <laughs> and let's go back to the show, and I do want to close by saying, Dr. Paul, again, reminding everyone, let's get together on June 9th. We're going to make sure there's no bad weather, and <laughs> we'll have a nice time. Ron Paul Institute Conference, I'll also put a link in the description to get your tickets and find out more about the conference. Very,
0: very good, Daniel. I hope to see a lot of our friends out there this year. And we're looking forward to it. I'm going to want to close with an update on an important issue because everybody's on pins and needles about it. A lot of people are ignoring it. But that is the... uh, financial arrangements of the state of California. If you want an example of what uh, pure democracy can lead to, just go to California. Uh, you know, they f- couldn't pay, like many states during COVID, they couldn't make uh, uh, make some payments. They didn't have the insurance for uh, unemployment. So they borrowed uh, from the federal government $18.9 billion. I don't think I bet they borrowed it. I bet there wasn't a piece of legislation. I don't think the people in the Congress approved of that. But there's a program there, and there's a Federal Reserve there, so they they loaned them that. And guess what? A lot of the, I think there were sixteen or twenty states had to borrow because of the regulations put on them and all the problems. So they, uh, they, 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 most of them are paying it back. Uh, California hasn't paid anything back, and they also have had, a few years ago, had a budget uh, serva They don't anymore. This year, they have a $22 billion uh, deficit, and they they owe the $89 uh, billion, and uh, the states uh, are required to pay it back. That doesn't mean they will. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they, they will just because they're required to, and also, once they look at these bills they have to pay, guess what they have to pay interest on that guess what they probably won't pay it guess what they'll probably get more money uh, you know from some some other state and uh, uh or more money from the federal government that means from other states so it, it's a compounded mess but the governor there uh, of California has a trick up his sleeve. He's going to solve the problems because it is a mess. So he's proposing that they uh, raise a, a, a plan to spend 80, $800 billion on reparations. And that's supposed to be helpful for the economy. Of course, they don't have any money. They have nothing but debt. And then they say, "Well, reparations." Just think of all the mean, nasty things that they have done, and the slavery that happened in California when they came into the union. They came in as a free state. And right now, who's paying all these bills? It's not going to even going to be the Californians because anybody that's wise enough are leaving. So what are they? What are they doing? They're, they're saying that uh, they they. Uh, demand money and they demand money from everybody in California uh, to pay the reparations and you know that could it could involve some minorities that would have to pay, and there's never been slavery, legalized slavery, in California, and so pure democracy as a solution to the economic problems and the social problems they have, and the manufactured, uh, you know, diseases and you know, dangers in the world, like uh, we have to protect ourselves against, you know, our national security interests, and you know, that we have to all that, that military spending people have to wake up and realize this is way over the heads of the people in our governments right now they're leading to the most vicious bankruptcy that this country and maybe the world has ever seen because you just can't keep doing this. and when you think that the solution for California might be a new program of 800 billion hundred billion dollars because they owe 22 billion dollars this year that they don't have and that they borrowed 18 billion dollars for unemployment insurance but they are going to to be back they're going to be back to the federal government demanding that the people uh come up cough up with more money and they will be forced to pay for it they will enslave somebody else now for reparations that seems a, quite a ridiculous idea i want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the liberty report please come back soon